Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. We're in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 6. I had a weird sensation just a few moments ago. The choir sang the choir special. And when they sing, usually I go down and I sat right here on the front row. So the choir sings. They do a great job. And then Brother Jamie gets up to lead the, our congregational. And I stand. And I'm singing. I can't see you because my back's to you. And all of a sudden I'm thinking... Am I the only one standing? <laughs> Did he ask everybody to stand or not? So I'm kind of cutting out of the corner of my eyes and I see you others. Now. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Because I know you guys, you wouldn't have said anything. You'd have just let me stand there the whole time by myself and laughed when the song was over. But that, that is true. I'm, stand, I'm serious here. And I'm standing there. I'm thinking, am I the only one standing? Anyway. Well, well, when it comes to the Word of God, sometimes I think I'm the only one standing on the Word. No, that's not true. It's not funny either. Not true, not funny. <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter 6, the cultivation of biblical virtue in the home. I cannot stress how important this is because, sadly, we are fast becoming a virtueless society. You say, well, what, what does that mean? It affects every one of us in a very negative way. I told you last week, and I haven't forgotten it. I was watching Fox News, and they were talking about debates in Washington and in the courtroom. This applies to just in the legislature and in the courtroom. They said, we are no longer pursuing what is right. That's not what's being debated today. It is who wins. Do you understand the difference there? The, the difference, and that is the way courts look at things today. In, in the courtroom, when, when you have a, someone accused of something, it's not whether he did it or not, it's whether his lawyers are smart enough or not. No one's pursuing the truth. We, we lack virtue. And then that carries over into our society as well. And it begins in the home. You know, in Brother Bob's class for Sunday school a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the tragic shooting down in Florida, and looking at the root cause of it. And the other day on uh, Fox News again, they were interviewing this, this man. I'd never heard of him before, don't know who he is. But they were interviewing this man, and I, I called Sharon over. to. I said, come listen to this, because it's so rare. This man was saying what I said in Sunday school. There's a lot of issues to consider out there, but let's look at the root of the problem. The one common thread between most of these school shootings are the home. And this guy was saying that. He said, we've got to address the home. We've got to address the family. And the, the, the news anchor there was just looking at him befuddled. Like, what, what are you talking about? And I'm thinking, that's the root of the problem, folks. In many cases, maybe not 100%, but I would say 90% of the cases, you know, the problem could be resolved, the problem could be addressed, the problem could be avoided in a good, godly home that teaches 
family values and virtues. Study the young men that have committed these crimes and you will see there is a common thread of a home that is sadly lacking, often in more ways than one. Now there is an answer for that. And that's family values. That's teaching biblical virtues in the home. The Bible acknowledges that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse number 4. Here it is. Here's the answer. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And fewer and fewer families in this country are doing that. We are fast becoming a secular nation. And in fact, haven't you noticed the hostility growing against those people of faith? In my lifetime, it is obvious. The hostility. I mean, it's, it's growing into open hostility towards people of faith. We're violating Scripture. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Talking to parents, how do you know that? Because he says in the next verse, And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. What is he talking about? His word. The principles and precepts of God's word, which is all about virtue and virtuous living. Thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house on thy gates. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we would do ill today if we hear this message and we go home the same as we came. Lord, may this convict our hearts. May it change our lives. May it grow our families. And may dads and moms particularly, Lord, understand and embrace what your word is teaching them today. May they not be neglectful. May they not think that they are incapable. May they, Lord, embrace and on purpose, Lord, strive to raise children that are virtuous. And may they and may the single individuals in this room, Lord, strive to model and teach and demonstrate virtue in their lives. And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that doesn't know you as their Savior, they're not a born-again Christian, Lord, I pray you'd prick their heart as well, and that today they would come to know you as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to begin like I did last week by sharing a story with you. Last week's story about Mr. O'Hare, who the O'Hare Airport is named after is a true story. This one, I've done my research. I don't really know if this is a true story or not. But whether it's a true story or not, even if it's a fictitious story, it makes a good point. King Louis XVI of France had been taken from his throne and put in prison. His young son, the prince, was taken by those who had captured the king. Because the young prince was to be the next king, they wanted to destroy him morally. They knew that that if they did, he would never be able to become the king of France. These people took the prince to a faraway city, where they tempted the boy with every filthy thing they could find. They tried to get him to eat foods, which would quickly make him to lose control of himself. They used terrible language around him all the time. They tempted him with evil women. They exposed him to dishonor and distrust. 
He was surrounded constantly by everything that could make a person lose his moral values or virtues. For over six months, he was given this treatment, but not once did the boy give in to the temptation. Finally, after doing everything they could think of, they asked why he did not do these things. He replied, I cannot do what you ask, for I was born to be a king. We have to understand there's all sorts of temptations around us. And we have to have virtue enough to know that we, like him, are called to a higher calling. Even a higher calling than a human king. We are called to be children of the king, the king. We are called to be Christians. We, like this story illustrates, are to resist vice and embrace virtue. And we need to understand that. Cultivating virtue can be, and I will acknowledge this, can be a real challenge. Let me share with you a couple of quotes that explains why so many people aren't aware of virtue, aren't pursuing virtue, aren't teaching virtue in their home. The quote says, Virtue is not something simply lacking in the modern world. It is something many in the modern world actually resent. Why is virtue resented by many people today? First, living the virtuous life isn't easy. And boy, we live in a society that wants everything to be easy. Living the virtuous life is not easy. It requires a lot of effort, practice, and self-denial, oh me. We are constantly battling against our fallen, selfish human nature. But secondly, and I quote, For souls not wanting to give up certain pleasures or comforts, souls not wanting to do the work and make the sacrifice that are necessary to grow in virtue, any discussion of the virtues can be like a mirror showing them their own moral laziness. And this is why some people resent the virtues. There could be a visitor here this morning who will hear a message on virtue and say, I'll never go back there because we're holding up a mirror. And people don't like what they see sometimes. And they don't want to pursue it because it requires work, it requires time, and requires effort. What they don't know is they're going to pay a horrible price. And life is going to be way more difficult for them than those families that embrace and value and work at virtue. Understand, the absence of values and virtues in a home breeds contempt and it promotes disharmony in the home and reduces chances for success in the life. Whereas the presence of values and virtues are the foundation for harmony and unity and enhance the chances for success in life. Look at the first part of that. The absence of values and virtues breeds contempt and promotes disharmony in the home. Husbands and wives that are lying to each other, that's going to be a bad home. 
And their kids are going to see that, and they're going to lie to mom and dad. And they're going to say they went to Susie's house, and they didn't go to Susie's house. They went to Johnny's house. But they heard mom and dad call in sick when they weren't sick and all that kind of stuff. And it just breeds contempt. But a home where dad is honest and mom is honest, and they're honest with each other, and the kids see that demonstrated, they become honest with mom and dad, and you have a loving home. You have a home where they respect one another. A home, one of the most important things that virtue does, it breeds not contempt. Vice breeds contempt. Virtue breeds harmony and trust and unity. Who doesn't want that in their home? Your home should be someplace happy to come home to in the afternoon. Your, your, your home should be a place where your kids, even as teenagers, want to hang out. And where it's, it's the gathering place. Because there's love, there's peace, there's unity, there's harmony. Understand this, and I love this quote. The home is the chief school of human virtues. The home. It, it's, it's not being taught by lying, cheating, you know, uh, entertainers. It's not taught by self-absorbed athletes today that are just extremely materialistic. They can't wear enough chains. They can't drive a, a bigger, fancier car. They can't have a big enough house. They are so materialistic. Your kids aren't going to get it from them. If they are going to get it, it's going to be in the home. And if the home isn't aware of this, if the home isn't embracing this, you're doing yourselves a great disservice for which there will be a terrible price to pay. Last week we looked at the first three virtues that ought to be appreciated, taught, valued in every home, and that was humility, honesty, and integrity. And we said in order for those kinds of virtues to be promoted, In that home, you must value them, you must teach them, and you must model them. Today, we're going to look at the next three important virtues that there ought to be a great awareness of and appreciation for in your home. Today, we're going to look at self-control. The Bible calls it temperance. Temperance means self-control. We're going to look at self-control. We're going to look at patience. And we're going to look at purity. Well, that's something you don't, you're not going to hear that discussed in, in school. You know, you're not going to hear that discussed, you know, on, on television. Or that's not going to be portrayed in the movies as anything good. So let's look at these three virtues this morning. And let me ask you a question. Are you actively and on purpose appreciating and promoting and demonstrating these virtues. Yes, it's hard because we have the temptation ourselves as fallen creatures to to struggle with these things ourselves. But we've got to get the victory. And we've got to encourage our children to get the victory. Number one today, our fourth virtue, but number one today, self-control. The Bible refers to it as temperance. The definition of self-control, restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, and desires. Restraint exercised over one's own impulses, emotions, and desires. Boy, that right there goes against our current culture. 
I mean, today people take pride in saying, I just give them a piece of my mind. You know, if I feel it, I'm, I'm just going to say it. And people take pride in that, and people applaud that. That is quite contrary to Scripture, which is the reason our society is in such a mess today. Which is the reason we you got to fear road rage when you pull out of the parking lot here. Especially if you're following my wife. She'll lay down on that horn, and she... No, she, she does not do that. Self-control is, is, is taught in the Bible. It's encouraged in the Bible. Why? Because it's right. It's in your best interest. Yeah, it may be hard, but it's in your best interest. First uh, Corinthians 9, 25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, or exhibits self-control in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we are, we an incorruptible. What we are pursuing, the the things that are good that we are pursuing, it is dependent that we be temperate, that we demonstrate self-control. It is so important. And if you lack it, you gotta work on it. You gotta, you gotta take the steps necessary. First of all, you got to acknowledge it, that you have a problem. And then number two, you got to work at it. You can't excuse it. You can't make excuses. It is so important. You know, I was a basketball coach for a number of years, and my hero growing up was John Wooden, you know, the coach at UCLA. And he said this, if you lose self-control, everything will fall. That's how important it is for you and for your, for your children. This morning, and, and we, look, we battle it. I, you know, this morning, I was on my computer at home before we came in, and I was looking for something, and I was just getting, you know, I can't find it. And, and I told Sharon, I said, it's not funny, Sharon. <laughs> was and I told Sharon, I didn't use the word self-control then. I told her, I said, that is not very professional of me to lose it like that. I said, it's in here somewhere. I couldn't find it in the files. I'll turn it over to Jamie on Monday, and he'll find it, but I can't find it. But again, self-control is important. It, it, it is so important. When I think about a Bible character that exemplifies self-control, I think about Daniel. In Daniel chapter 1, verse number 8, you remember Daniel was a slave? And, and, and where he was being held as a slave, it was decided that they could put him and the three Hebrew children to good use. Hey, those guys can be of value to us. But before we present him to the king, we got to fatten him up, got to make him look good. Now, normally a slave might think, hey, nothing better could happen. You know, they're going to feed us and we're going to get out of this prison cell. We're going to be used to the king. But listen to the story. Daniel 1.8. But Daniel purposed in his heart after being offered the finest food there in the kingdom, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. He saw it as defiling, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Then in verse number 10, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king who hath appointed your meat and your drink, for why should he see your face as worse likening than the children which ye are of your sort? Then shall ye make uh, me endanger my head to the king. In other words, he's saying, look, Daniel, you need to eat this, because if I bring you in there and you don't look right, I'm going I'm to fall on the sword for the king. He's going to be mad at me. Then Daniel said to Melzar, 
whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. What self-control? Daniel said, we cannot eat this meat of the king or drink his wine. Bring us pulse. Now, that just sounds delightful, doesn't it? (laughs) Pulse. I marvel at his self-control. But he was right. And it served him well. And we think so highly of Daniel and the other things that the book of Daniel reveal about him. If there's a young man that we admire, it's Daniel. Why do we admire him? You might not think about it, but let's think about it now because of his self-control. If he had not demonstrated self-control, if he had said, where's the food? Bring, bring it in. Bring it on, boys. Clean off the table. Set it down. Let's gorge ourselves. If he had done that, I don't think we'd know about Daniel today. But one of the primary reasons we know about Daniel, we admire Daniel, is because in his life it is very obvious now that he exhibited self-control or temperance. Do you? Do I? Do we value it? And do we teach it to our children? We ought to because there are so many benefits. And that, you know, whatever the Bible says we ought to do, folks, forget the world. Forget the the materialistic athletes. Forget the ego-driven politicians. Forget the, the immoral crowd out in Hollywood. And these people are exerting the most influence. My influence is minimal. But my influence is right as long as I'm proclaiming the Word of God. And I'm proclaiming the Word of God this morning. And when the Bible says that it's good to be temperate in all things or to exhibit self-control, trust me, that's in your best interest. It may be hard. It may be disappointing when the mirror is held up there and you see yourself and you're lacking those things. But the benefits... Self-control keeps you from unwise behaviors. I am not. I'm I'm tempted, but self-control is going to keep me from doing that. Self-control keeps you from unwise words. I might feel like saying that, but I've got self-control. And it would hurt me to say those things. But because I didn't say those things, then I'm not going to have to suffer the consequences of having said them. Self-control keeps you focused on the right priorities rather than chasing after this because it feels good or it looks good or whatever when you exhibit self-control then you you stay focused on the things that are important things that that make a difference i like this quote self-control is a key factor in achieving success we can't control everything in life but we can definitely control ourselves parents if you're throwing a fit at home you're sending the wrong message. If you go into a tirade at home or at work or on the highway or whatever, you're teaching your kids something that is going to be their downfall. Dr. Willard Harley calls it temporary insanity when parents fly off the handle. Now, there's, there's reasons sometimes to be upset, but it's, it's how you express it. It's how, do you control it? Do you, do you use it in a right manner, in a constructive manner? No, most people today just go crazy. 
cuss their kids out, grab their kids, start beating them. You, you see it in, in different places, Walmart or whatever, how, you know, shaking kids, oh, just all kind of crazy stuff. Is it any wonder that those homes are in turmoil and those people are living in misery and our country is suffering greatly because of it? Yes, it's hard. Flying off the handle is easier than self-control. But self-control has many more benefits, to put it mildly, than flying off the handle. That is a virtue that ought to be appreciated, taught, and modeled in our own. And when we get it wrong, maybe we lose it. I mean, the minute we realize it, we need to apologize. Hey, Dad was wrong. I said some ugly things. You know, I, I threw something, whatever it might be. Dad was wrong. Number two, a second virtue that we ought to appreciate, kind of related to the first, is patience. Patience, bearing pains or trials calmly or without complaint, manifesting forbearance under provocation or strain. The Bible stresses the importance of this virtue. James 1.4, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect or mature, an entire, complete, wanting nothing. Patience can be a struggle for the best of us in this room. But we needn't make excuses. We need to work hard to fix it when we're impatient. One quote says, One moment of patience may ward off great disaster. One moment of impatience may ruin a whole life. When the Bible says we should be patient, Trust me, it's in our best interest to work at that and become patient if we struggle with it. In the Bible, there's one man that's known for his patience. They talk about the patience of Job. That's mentioned in James chapter 5, verse number 10. Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy which endure. Ye have heard of the patience of Job, and have seen the end of the Lord, and the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Job, if you know the story, suffered terrible, horrible loss, perhaps as no other man in the history of the world. And on top of his loss, as he is suffering, his friends come along and just tempt and encourage him to do the wrong thing. His wife tempts him. They, they tempt him, you know, curse God and die. And he never did. Had he gotten impatient with the Lord, he might have done just that. But because he endured, because he, he manifested forbearance under provocation, because he bared trials calmly and without complaint, We admire Job, and we admire him for his patience. Are you admired for your patience, or are you pitied for your lack thereof? You say, Pastor, I really struggle with that. Hey, my hand's up. I do too. If there's there's one thing I struggle with, it is patience. I, I think I said the other Wednesday night, you know, if it requires two coats of paint and you've got to wait for the first coat to dry, that ain't going to happen with me. I'm putting the second coat on. 
and I pay a price for it. It never, it never works out. So, again, what I'm acknowledging is, yeah, we're all human, and I struggle with this, but I will acknowledge that I need to be patient, and I will take the efforts necessary to become more patient. There's so many benefits. You know, I, I Googled, I'm, I'm looking for benefits of being patient. There, there are so many. I'm just listing three right here. Patience improves your health. Patience helps you to achieve your goals. You know, you don't, you, you don't mess things up by going too fast. And, and it'll help you get through the tough spots. And patience keeps you from getting ahead of God. So patience is of great value. This quote, biblically, waiting is, and I love this quote. Biblically, waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. Think about that one for a second. That is a fantastic quote. Waiting is not just something we have to do until we get what we want. Waiting is part of the process of becoming what God wants us to be. The immature people, that, that, that won't mean a thing to them. Okay, you know, they're impatient right now. When is this going to get over with? You know, and their lives will reflect that. A person that understands the values of virtue and then experiencing, experiences the blessings that come with it, they'll hear a quote like that and maybe get convicted and say, that, that's something i just got to work on. I've really, really got to work on that. And then thirdly and lastly this morning, another virtue that is lost in this world, completely gone in the world today, is purity. And I'm talking about moral and sexual purity. Definition of purity. Free from what vitiates. That means to spoil or impair. Free from what vitiates, weakens, or pollutes. Containing nothing that does not properly belong free from moral fault or guilt. Definition of purity. Marked by chastity. I'm just amazed at how people are living today. One night stands, living together, this, that, and the other. Having children without any commitment through marriage whatsoever. How dare people do that? How, How dare somebody bring a child into this world when the two of you do not have the wherewithal to commit to each other, to be with that child, raise that child, be an influence that child for that child's life? How dare you do that? How selfish, how materialistic, how, how ungodly, how worldly. The, the key, the answer is purity. It's old-fashioned, but it's right because it's biblical. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. If I preach this at the average school, assembly, high school, or college, they'd probably run me out. I I for sure would never, ever be welcomed back. And folks, that says something about our society. But somebody's got to do something about it. 
You got to do something about it. You, you got to pass out the, the invitations. You got to get people to church here because it's the word of God. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to change individuals and thus change our society. We can either gripe, complain, cuss, bellyache, or we can look to God for direction. That's pretty clear. <laughs> Not too hard to understand. Say it may be impossible. That's up to the Lord. My job is to be obedient. You know, my, my job is just not to figure out whether it's going to be successful or not. That, that's in his hands. My, my job is to just do, do what he tells me to do. I love, here's another great quote. Purity is living life by God's design. If you're going to live life by God's design, you're going to be pure. Young people are going to hold themselves for the person they marry. And they will not give themselves to anyone until they marry. That is God's best. And God blesses that. And he doesn't bless any other approach. When you think about purity, another Bible character that comes to mind is Joseph. Genesis 20, 39, 7, And it came to pass after these things that when his master's wife cast her, her eyes upon Joseph, she said, Lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wotteth not uh, what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And we admire Joseph as we admire Daniel, as we admire Job, we admire Joseph because those men demonstrated very clearly Bible virtues. There are so many benefits to purity. Purity these days, well, I guess at all times, prevents disease, prevents guilt, and promotes healthy relationships. I like this quote. Nothing has stolen more dreams, dashed more hopes, broken up more families, and messed up more people psychologically than our propensity to disregard God's commands regarding sexual purity. Your life, your home, will either promote vice or virtue. It's easy to promote vice. Just go with the flow. Just go with the crowd. But you're going to have what they have. You're going to experience what they experience. Anger, frustration, uh, insecurities, hate, internal torments. Or you can work at virtue. And it does take work. You can work at virtue and experience the blessings in a home of trust and appreciation, harmony, unity. We need to actively and on purpose value, teach, and model in our homes self-control, patience, and purity, whether anybody else likes it or appreciates it or not. Somebody's got to lead. Somebody's got to hold the banner up. And I trust it'll start with the people in this room under the sound of my voice, 
right now. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's Word. If you have any questions about Myo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.